If ever Jesus' explanation of the behaviors of the Spirit of God needed a, a good, fitting illustration, I don't think we could do better than what we have written in the Acts of the Apostles when the Spirit descends upon that house. A driving, violent wind that strikes the house where, where they wait and per the instructions of Jesus before he ascended, it's not an ordinary wind. Spirating around the house as perhaps, you know, watery streams you see kind of spirate around certain boulders that you see in a riverbed. No. This wind penetrates. Doesn't matter how many locked doors or sealed windows it has, it gets inside. It reaches those who are probably trembling with all sorts of anxiety. And upon its penetration, the fire is born and rests upon every soul present. And with the inspiration of the Spirit comes a response that is daring. They leave the confines and safety of the house and bring that Spirit to others. Just as every human body cannot, you could say, cannot hold the air within its lungs, the exhale of Jesus' love bursts from their mouths and they go out to all corners of the world, starting from that one house, that upper room in Jerusalem. In John 3, 8, we remember the explanation Jesus gives to Nicodemus about the nature of the Spirit. That He says, the wind blows where it wills and you can hear the sound it makes, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. While that's kind of a poetry in itself, and which is somewhat enigmatic, I suppose you could say the Spirit will send you where you don't expect to go, where human reason would probably judge otherwise, saying, no, that's, that's a foolish errand. But the Spirit confounds the logic of humanity without God. As our Holy Father mentioned earlier today, you know, the wind is a metaphor for the Spirit. Always it initiates change. It brings warmth when it is cold and cools when it is hot. It brings rain to the land when it thirsts. It drives unruly storms away. It gives energy to the labors of men. It drives the grinding mill. It gives breath to the furnaces and it sets fast sails of every ship, thereby giving destination to all the souls they bear. It is certainly the same with the Holy Spirit in us as evidently can be seen from the first disciples. They who were probably anxious beyond imagining or description with the departure of the Lord at His ascension, but now are experiencing a peace and a joy beyond measure, a peace they are familiar with. A peace once given to them when the Lord came to them in that upper room, not through the locked door, but just appeared and breathed on them. It is a gift, this spirit, that drives away timidity with the message of the gospel and grants them a boldness and an audacity to preach in his name. And the gift of the spirit, these 
Disciples begin to defy the laws of self-preservation, you could say. The very instinct that drives foxes into their dens and rabbits down their holes now dissipates. It has no meaning for those who now possess the Spirit. It makes them overjoyed and eager to shed their blood in the same cause that nailed their Master to a cross. They gladly go to die lovingly for Him who lovingly died for them. In this celebration, the third greatest solemnity of our liturgical year, we are again opportuned and commissioned to partake in the same spirit and initiative, and we only need to ask for it sincerely. Sometimes I wonder how frequently we might forget the numerous, the plentiful gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit that are just at our fingertips, if only we ask for it, we will have them. Tomorrow, we return to the color green, mindful that Christ has planted a seed within our hearts and continues to foster it with this spirit. Now is a fruitful season, a seasoning, season for ripening and harvesting is upon us. Our Father, who is the vine grower, has planted his only son, the vine, in the world. And now, with the gift of the spirit, He's been able to enliven with all the branches an incredible fruit. Let's not miss out. Let's take to heart the three encouragements our Holy Father left us earlier this morning. When he said at Mass, the first advice offered by the Holy Spirit is live in the present. The present, not the past or the future. The paraclete affirms the primacy of today against the temptation to let ourselves be paralyzed by uh, or be run by our memories of the past or by uncertainty or fear about the future. The Spirit reminds us of the grace of the present moment. There is no better time for us now, here, and here and now. Here and now is the one and only time to do good, to make life a gift. He continues, the Spirit also tells us, look to the whole. The whole, not the part. The Spirit does not mold isolated individuals, but shapes us into a church in a wide variety of charisms, into a unity that is never uniformity. The paraclete affirms the primacy of the whole. There in the whole, in the community, the Spirit prefers to work and bring newness. Let us look at the apostles. They were all quite, quite different. They included, for example, Matthew, a tax collector who uh, collaborated with the Romans, and Simon called the Zealot, who fought against them. They had contrary political ideas, different visions of the world. Yet once they received the Spirit, they learned to give primacy not to human viewpoints, but to the whole of God's plan. Today, if we listen to the Spirit, we will not be concerned with conservatives or progressives, traditionalists or, and innovators, right and left. When those become our criteria, the church has forgotten the Spirit. The paraclete impels us to unity, to concord, to the harmony of diversity. He makes us see ourselves as parts of the same body, brothers and sisters of one another. 
Let us look to the whole, he says. The enemy wants diversity to become opposition, and so he makes them become ideologies. Say no to ideologies. Yes to the whole. He continues in the third advice. Put, uh, put God before yourself. This is the decisive step in the spiritual life, which is not the sum of our own merits and achievements, but a humble openness to God. The Spirit affirms the primacy of grace. Only by emptying ourselves do we leave room for the Lord. Only by giving ourselves to Him do we find ourselves. Only by becoming poor in spirit do we become rich in the Holy Spirit. This is also true of the church. We save no one, not even ourselves, by our own efforts. If we give priority to our own projects, our structures, our plans for reform, we will be concerned only about effectiveness, efficiency. We will think only in horizontal terms, and as a result, we will bear no fruit. An ism is an ideology that divides and separates. The church is human, but it is not merely a human organization, he says. It is the temple of this Holy Spirit. Jesus brought the fire of the Spirit on the earth, and the church is reformed by the anointing of grace, the gratuity of the anointing of grace, the power of prayer, the joy of mission, and the disarming beauty of poverty. Let us put on God in first in all places. So we begin once again this, continue the season of ordinary time. Keep in mind, though it's called ordinary time, there's nothing ordinary about it. We call this upcoming season ordinary because it has been ordained. A time which will bear a new generosity, a newness of faith. What better way to begin it than to ask the Holy Spirit to bring it forth? Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit and we shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Amen.